Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Have you ever been responsible for someone, like in your life, like with a responsibility that you felt the weight of that you were taking care of somebody else? Like, I want you to think about that just for a second. I know as parents, right, that's something that I'm still grappling with. Um, uh, you know, if you think about when you first have a baby, I'm so blessed because my son Hunter and his wife Lily just announced that they are going to be having a baby. And I was thinking about um, when I was first having a baby, I had the responsibility of taking care of a baby. And I'll never forget being at the hospital and all of a sudden they give you the baby and then you have your car and you're like, I can't believe they're just letting me leave with this baby. Like, there's like this responsibility. You're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And like, I remember that as clear as day that it was like, they shouldn't allow me. I'm not responsible enough to take care of a baby. So, but all of us are, you know, if you've had a child, you've experienced that and that weight of responsibility that you have taking care of another person. I was also thinking about as I, as I grew up, you know, my parents, you know, I had a sibling who was four years younger than me, and I was always, they were always saying, you know, now it's your responsibility, you need to watch after your brother, and like I would just torment my brother, I would do terrible things to him, uh, but anytime he did something wrong, guess who got in trouble? I did. Why? Because it was my responsibility that I was supposed to be watching over him. And I was even thinking, like, in school groups, when you go to school and, and different projects you work on, um, recently, as I was uh, taking classes online, I was put into a study group to work on a project with, with three other guys. And I remember I took the lead on it, and I remember I felt this weight of responsibility, and I had to make sure everybody was getting their piece done in order so we could get our project done, so we could get uh, a good grade on it. And there's that weight of responsibility that I was responsible over it. Um, and, and, you know, when I was younger, uh, all these things popped in my head this week. When I was younger, I, was, uh, I took piano lessons, and I was, I was a teenager at the time. And my piano teacher, actually, she had such an abundance of kids wanting to take lessons, she actually said, Brian, I want you to teach the toddlers. So I got the opportunity to teach piano lessons to little toddlers. And I remember going to like a recital and these little toddlers were playing. And I felt responsible for how they played because I was their teacher in that moment. Like that was a weight that I felt even at a young age. Um, as you get older, this is evident in the workplace, right? If you have a job, if you have a, a boss, um, uh, the boss always talks to what? If you've been on a team, the team leader. Um, and the phrase, the buck stops here, right? Because why? That person is in charge. The leader is the one who holds the responsibility over what is going on. But if you think about it, a good boss leads and directs his or her team. And a healthy leadership equals what? A healthy environment. And that's just the way it goes. Um, uh, at one point, I, I worked in sales, and I am not a good salesman at all. Um, and I was working at this company, and it was selling jewelry of all things. So I was the person, like, you would go into the jewelry store, and you'd be like, I'm looking for a ring. And I'd be like, oh, I got just what you need here. And I'd pull it up, and it'd be, like, on the shiny pillow. And I'd be like, here's your ring. So then 
as I was doing that and I was working on this, I had just became a brand new Christian at 24 years old when this happened. And I remember the, the work environment there was not good. The management was just doing things that were corrupt. And I remember that, that there was just this heaviness over the company because of the leadership that was in charge of it. And, it, and I couldn't wait to go somewhere else to find a different job. Healthy leadership equals a healthy environment. Uh, one of the more famous movie quotes, this movie quote will always live on forever in my mind, and if you know the movie, come see me afterwards, because this is your quiz. With great power comes great responsibility, right? Because there is a power there, right? If you have power, there's a responsibility that comes with that. There's a weight that comes with it. Um, well, today, as we are diving in, Paul's addressing the importance of what? Qualified elders over the church. These men leading have a weighty responsibility over what they're doing, and that needs to be addressed. So how weighty is that? It's probably something that we don't think about as a church very often. Well, James 3.1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Right there, he lays out that James is saying what? That the teachers have a great responsibility and will be judged stricter because of it. There's a heavier judgment because there is more of a responsibility there. Um, so with authority comes responsibility. Now, today we will see what Paul has to say to Timothy about this subject and uh, what we can learn about it as we dive in here and apply it to our own local gathering. So let's just review just a minute. And if you're here today, we are in, as we continue to study through the, the book of 1 Timothy, we're starting to see that the end is in sight of 1 Timothy. Um, now, there's a letter written by Paul to his younger friend. I like to say it's his spiritual son. We know that they are very close. And we see that here again today in the scripture by some of the things that he says to him. Now, always remember that the reason for this letter is what? That he is helping uh, Timothy get the church back on track. Now, Paul helped found this church, and it is way over here now, right? So he's coming back in and saying, listen, we got to make sure that we're back on track, and these are the things you need to get in order. And one of the things that he had talked about specifically is what elders, is the elders. Now, this was a huge responsibility, now, last week, uh, we saw at the beginning of chapter 5, and actually in your ESV, it's titled Instructions for the Church that is in uh, your text. Now, Paul gave specific instructions for what? The church about older men and widows. So it's what we talked about last week. Our big idea was God instructs us to respect one another and care for the widows. It's how we love one another and how important that is. And our next step was to treat each other like family and commit to helping care for the needy in the church. So, this week, uh, we will see how these instructions for the church now what? Carry over into the elders. Uh, not only how the church should treat elders, but how they need to be accountable to the church, which is so important. So, just to remind you, so back in chapter 3, we see that Timothy laid out the qualifications for elders. So I just want to read through this. So if you're in your Bible, you can turn back to uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And I want to read through this uh, really fast. So you have this in your mind as we kind of go through it. So you start to feel the weight of what he's talking about. It says in verse 1, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 
So take note of that. It is a noble task that is aspired to. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, uh, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So as we list out those qualifications, that's quite a list that Paul has put here. Now remember, this was to regain order in the gathering, in the instructions that he's given here. Now, as, a, as your pastor and as an elder, that list of qualifications, I see the weight of that. But I tell you what, the text today, as we go through and study, I really feel the weight of that. Um, so we see the importance of oversight of elders and how the church should view and interact with the leadership of the church. So what is our big idea today? Our big idea is this. The church requires proper elder oversight. The church requires proper elder oversight. Now, we get the opportunity to focus on this today and dive into this this morning. Now, in these instructions for the church, you will have a clear understanding of what elder oversight is and what I mean by that, how the church should view and interact with the leadership. Now, I understand, like, there's some verses as a pastor, like, you can't wait to preach on, right? It's like uh, John 3, 16, so God loved the world. Now, all of a sudden, I get to stand up here and preach how you should have honor for us elders. Like, that's kind of a, a weird thing as we go through this and as we talk about what that means. But I want to tell you that as a pastor here, that I'm always encouraged and feel well-respected and loved by this congregation. And I want to say that up front before we go through this text. All right, so let's start in verse 17 and 18. It says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So remember, these are instructions for the church and what? How to treat the elders. And... And remember, these are leaders that what? There's a qualification here that what? That they rule well. So what do we see here first about the oversight of the elders? The first thing is elders must be honored. Elders must be honored. Leaders that rule well considered worthy of what? It says double honor. So what does that mean? What does double honor mean when it, he refers to that here in the text? Um, double means twofold, right? There's two different things here, and there's an abundance of respect, right? That is what he's talking about. And we see the same thing honored as it was talked about with the widows last week, this idea of this respect and honor. So abundance of respect, but there's also this idea of remuneration. This is idea of pay that he is talking about. So there is abundance of respect and also reasonable pay. And I will explain that. So in the language, honor in the original language is is the notion of a price or compensation. 
that is listed here when you look at the language. Now, we get the word honorarium. So if you've heard that word, that is where we get this, honorarium. It's a payment for unbilled professional services. So when we look at this, what is, what is Paul saying here? So they should be honored in two ways, proper esteem and fair compensation, and fair compensation. Why? Because preaching and teaching are so important, and that is what Paul is saying here. This is such an important responsibility in what the elders do. They, they are worthy of what? This double honor. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know, just like we talked about and we saw that what? That they aspire to what? The office of overseer, he desires what? A noble task. And why is that? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to Give an account. That is so important. Like there is a weight and a responsibility that as elders and pastors that we will have to give an account for, that we are true in what we say, that we, we stick to the gospel, and that we are true to that. First um, Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13 says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So once again, it's this idea that he is addressing the leadership and how they, they should be handled and looked at within the church. There is a respect there, and, but why is that respect there? Because those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because the work is so precious in what... God has given us to do. So Paul gives two examples here from Scripture to back this up in what he is saying. So verse 18 says this, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So just like when I, when I like to teach from text, what I like to do is have Scripture references to back it up. That is what Paul is doing here. He is saying, okay, I'm going to show you from the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, from the Gospel of Luke, why this is so. So the Old Testament and the New Testament references. So the first one, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. This is from Deuteronomy 25, 4. It says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading the grain. So what are they talking? What is the scripture referring to there? Now, this is an idea of an ox. Now, when an ox treads grain, right, it is walking on it. So it is walking around, it treads the grain, and it prepares it, what? To bake and to use for their food. And what is he saying here? He says, do not muzzle the ox because he is working. Because while the ox is working, it should be allowed to eat the grain also. Because it is working, it should also be able to eat. You should not muzzle him because that would be cruel, because he is doing the work for you. So if an ox is important in this scripture reference, how important is it to teach and preach the gospel in what that they are saying here? So it is working and deserves to eat while it works. Um, 
Now, if we look in the New Testament reference here, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples about going out to, to, to share about him. Now, he sends out 72 before him. Now, this is before, before Jesus goes to be crucified and what he is doing. He has the, his time is getting shorter, and he sends out 72 people to go to the towns to, to tell them about him, to prepare them for his message. So Luke 10, 7 says, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. So he's giving them practical instructions on what to do when they go out. All right? So he's saying, go to the houses, stay there, and it says, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. So these 72 that he's sending out, he's saying, what you are doing is working. And you deserve wages. So you are to eat and drink in the houses that you stay in. So this is the New Testament reference that Paul is using to explain how elders should deserve respect and double honor and also be compensated. So because of the work that they are doing, they deserve their wages. It shows the value and importance of their work. Um, one example that always comes to my mind when we think about value of work is artwork. I, you know, I've grown up as an artist. I went to school early when I was younger and did fine art and painting and stuff like that. And I had to go to like paintings and study like artwork. And I was amazed by some of the artwork that was considered so valuable. You look at a, a Picasso and it's this crazy pop art and you see like all these, it's just odd looking. And then you see the Mona Lisa and you see these Totally different pieces of art, but the value that they have is why? Because of who made them, and they have different values. Why? It's because of the value of the work. It's because of the value of the work. Um, elders deserve honor is what Paul is saying here. Now, like I said before, I want to make this to totally um, transparent with you. That as a pastor and elder, I know that I am preaching about receiving double honor. That I'm standing up here saying that I deserve double honor. So, and I want to say again that, that as an elder here, that we are so thankful for your encouragement, for your respect, and how you treat us. You are overflowing with respect and encouragement to us, and we are so grateful. And I'm very grateful for the fair compensation that, that I receive and my family receives. So I am very, very thankful. So I would ask you, are you thinking about these things? Are you thinking about how you treat elders and what that looks like? Um, are you supporting and appreciating elders? Um, unfortunately, what can happen is elders can become targets of criticism. And we see that if something goes wrong, it's easily to complain about somebody or talk about somebody in that way. And we do not want to live in that area. So I just want you to remember with the the responsibility comes honor, right? Elders must be honored, and that's what the Scripture tells us. All right, let's go on to verse 19. It says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, when we look at this, what is going on here, there must be a caution put into place with charges against an elder. So Paul is referencing a system of what, like checks and balances here, with the accusations to protect against false accusations. Um, so what is the next thing we learn here? What do we see about the oversight of elders? Elders must be protected. Elders must be protected. Now, this is to protect the elder, and it is to protect the church against what? Gossip, 
against slander, against these sort of things. Now, it's not special treatment. I don't want you to think of it like that. But it's urging fair protection for elders. Now, now we see this all throughout Scripture and how this idea of witnesses comes about uh, when it comes to a witness with an accusation. So if we go to Deuteronomy 19.15, it says this. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So this isn't a new idea that Paul is putting forth. He's talking about this idea of two witnesses or three witnesses. Why? Because it makes the charge credible. It makes the charge credible. Matthew 18, 15 through 16 If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by evidence of what? Two or three witnesses. Once again, the same idea holds. 2 Corinthians 13.1. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is an idea that goes all the way across Scripture, and we see it laid out um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God has given us a structure here that helps protect the church. Now, remember, gossip is not helpful at all in a church. But... I will say this, when an elder is wrong, there must be witnesses to support the claim. It is, a, it is biblical to present the accusations for what? For rebuking an elder. And that is what we come to next. So let's see, in the next verses, the elder must be what? Accountable. The elders must be accountable. So what does it say in verses 20 and 21? It says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. So that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Now, when there is real grounds for accusation, when an elder does something wrong and there is witnesses, we see that what? Paul doesn't mess around here with what happens because with this responsibility comes rebuking, right? And uh, and this is no like hush hush. And this is what is kind of shocking when we look at this. Uh, it's not let's keep this matter quiet, right? That's not what he is saying here. If an elder is found in sin, what he is brought before the church. It is made known. There is a transparency here that must be known before everyone. Um, must be rebuked publicly. So what do we see here about the oversight of elders? Elders must be rebuked. Elders must be rebuked. This is the accountability that is necessary. And this keeps all accountable. And why is that? It says, so the rest may stand in fear. Now, when you look at that, it seems pretty obvious to me. If you have children, I had multiple children, five children, right? So one of them does something wrong, and all of a sudden you're thinking, well, if the one does something wrong, this is a great example to teach all the rest of them. So if you're like, I can't believe you did this, you are grounded in, you know, for six months. And what happens? The rest of the kids are like, whoo, I'm not doing that then. 
because I just see what happened, how they got punished. There is a healthy fear there that they realize. This is the same thing that we're looking at with the elders. If there is a rebuking, it should be public. Why? Because it brings a healthy fear. Uh, <clears throat> it's using someone <clears throat> as a healthy example in this case. Empty discipline, so empty discipline creates opportunity for sin. If there is sin and you just sweep it under the rug, let's not talk about that. We're never going to talk about that because it makes us uncomfortable. What happens? That creates an opportunity for more sin because what happens? People are like, well, they didn't get in trouble for it, so I guess I can do that, right? And maybe not thinking that consciously, but that's what kind of happens. Whereas if you have a healthy fear and you see that somebody is held accountable in front of everybody, it's going to make you think twice about stepping there and doing something like that. So there's a healthy fear there. So Paul talks about this uh, also in Titus. Titus 1.13 says this, This testimony is true. <clears throat> Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be uh, sound in the faith. Right? This idea of quickly, sharply, right? There's no hush-hush. We're not doing this quietly. Rebuke them sharply. I want to go into Deuteronomy again and uh, read you this, because this is this idea of fear, this idea of fear. Deuteronomy 13, 10, and 11, you shall stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. This idea of this fear is not new. And once again, looking back, if, if we have a fear, we have a right understanding that it is not right, and then we will not want to do it. So it is not a bad thing. So, wow. Uh, I mean, you look at this, there's a healthy, godly fear that helps us stay on the right track, right? It helps keep us accountable. But if you think about it, is that harsh? If you think about an elder or someone who does something wrong, who falls into sin, right? I tell you what my instinct to do is like, oh, I want to protect him. I want to make sure he's okay. You know, I don't want to damage the, you know, the, the church. I don't want them to be upset and all these things. I just want to keep it quiet, you know, because I don't want to hurt their, their what about their family? I don't want to do that. I want to, and those are like the natural instincts that come up in us. But if we want to be a biblically sound church who follows what the structure here is set up in Timothy, that is not what we do. Yes, we should love them. And I'm saying there is an idea for restoration and healing. And these people, these, if somebody's fallen into sin, they need to be loved and helped. But it can't be a secret. It's got to be uh, publicly rebuked. There has to be a transparency there. I call it backdoor sneaking. I read that this week. Backdoor sneaking. That's like what, what if an elder does something wrong, we just sneak him out the back door and then like, where'd they, what happened? Where'd that elder go? Well, they just left. No, that's not what is called for in scripture. We don't want to do backdoor sneaking because it causes what? Questions and lack of transparency and it destroys trust. Like we are here as elders to serve and love and shepherd you. And we need to be transparent about that. We're not perfect. So if, if an elder is found to be sin, it needs to be rebuked and needs to be found accountable. Now, remember, we're just not accountable to each other. Paul goes on here. It's like an exclamation point in verse 21. In the presence of God 
and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Paul is always quick to remind us who we're accountable to. Um, 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of seasons, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This idea, who are you accountable to? God and Christ Jesus, and even says the witness of the angels here. All of these things, that is the weight of responsibility that that you need to understand that is on an elder and a leader. It says there can be no partiality. There can be none. It must be fair, right? And that goes both ways. It can't be, well, you know, I don't really like this elder, so he probably did this, so, you know, it can't be that either. And it also can't be like, oh, he's a nice guy, so we're not really going to talk about that. No, there should be no partiality either way. It needs to be addressed, it needs to be, and they need to be rebuked. Um, there's high accountability for high honor. Elders must be held accountable and rebuked. All right, let's go to uh, verses 22 and 23. It says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Verse 23, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, here we see this is direct advice to Timothy, and it says what? Do not be hasty. So what does hasty mean? What does it mean to be hasty? It means do something quickly, right? If you do it quickly, you do it hastily, right? There's no thought. There's no patience involved. And, um, and he's talking about do not be hasty with what? Laying on the hands. And what does that mean? That means to ordain. It is to bring somebody into leadership, to bring an elder into leadership, So what do we see here about the oversight of elders? Elders must be chosen wisely. Elders must be chosen wisely. Needs to be cautiously, patiently. All of these things, when you think of the opposite of hasty. Elders must not be put into place without caution and patience. This is a very important decision. Remember, the leadership drives the direction and the health of the church. So it's not something you just like throw somebody in because you need to fill a spot, right? No, it needs to be done with patience and chosen wisely. Acts 6, 5, and 6, um, this is, uh, you know, the early church, and this is actually uh, a lot of the reference when we talk about deacons put into place. I believe the same idea here when they chose them you'll see um, in verses 5 and 6. It says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and uh, Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This idea of laying their hands on what they are setting them aside, they're saying, we, we are ordaining, we we're putting you set aside for service, right? But what do you see that they did? They prayed and laid their hands on him. And you see how they knew them and, and their actions and what they did and how they lived all right there. Um, there was careful prayer and consideration for their leadership. 
Now also, he says there, nor take part in the sins of others when he is talking to Timothy. Now, what does this mean? Do not take part in the sins of others. I mean, that is, could be a general thing there. Like, obviously, if people are sinning, don't take part in that. But I believe that there's a further thing here. It's about ordaining ungodly men. Like, if you put somebody into leadership who you know is living in sin, that is taking part in that. So there is a responsibility here in, in bringing up leadership that you need to know that, uh, where they are. So do not settle for unqualified men. Stay pure. He says, keep yourself pure in this. Above reproach. Above reproach. Second um, John 1, 10 and 11 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. You know, this idea that, uh, that John is saying here that... Uh, Beware of their actions and their works and what they are doing. This should be evident. Do not participate in that, right? You want to not put someone into leadership when you know that they are unqualified for leadership. Now, as, as we look here, in verse 23, we see an aside directed to Timothy then about his health. It's like all of a sudden in the ESV, it's like in parentheses. It's like, okay, well, what's he talking about here? So he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, first thing I want you to see here is that he's getting personal, right? And you see Paul's affection for Timothy here. Like, that's the first thing I want you to see, that he cares for him. Like, he understands his situation is hard. He understands his stomach's not good, so what is he doing? It's like a dad. It's like saying, listen, you need to do this. You need to... You need to um, not only drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. You need to take care of yourself and what you are doing. So we see this as a medicinal purpose for him to drink wine. Um, it's for his care because of, I would say even because of the stress and what he is dealing with uh, when he is dealing with elders and what he is doing in his responsibility. There's also, I also read about uh, Timothy's background on his father's side. There's a Gnosticism uh, that he could have been also, there's the self-denial because the physical is evil. So there could have been a piece there that maybe he was saying, I'm not drinking alcohol because of that. Um, I believe it's because there was a care there that he was saying, listen, if your stomach is hurting, you need to do this and take care of yourself. Um, so as we look at this, we see the care from Paul to Timothy and what he is doing. Um, but overall in these verses, so picking elders must be done with patience and caution, not hasty, not hasty. So now as we continue in the process of picking elders, I want you to remember this, that we can't be hasty in who we choose and who we, and who we have as elders. Elders must be chosen wisely. So the last part of this, as we break down the next verse, is the kind of the uh, evaluation process. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit. So 1 Timothy, we'll look at the last two verses here, uh, verses 24 and 25. It says, The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So what is he saying here in this? It's, it's, so if there's caution and care, there must be evaluation here in the characters of the elders that are being chosen. Time 
reveals character. Time and how they serve, what they do, their actions reveals their character. So evaluation is very important when choosing elders. So what do we see here about the oversight of elders? Elders must be evaluated. Elders must be evaluated. So sins and works, is what he refers to here, are what? Are revealed in time and help show character. Basically, some sins are obvious, is what he's saying. Like, you're going to see this person, and you're going to know they shouldn't be an elder. Why? Because they're living in sin. It is obvious. We all see it. But this, this man over here may have sin that's, that you don't see, but you will see it over time. Because the way that their character comes out, you will see it eventually. So be cautious in that. Same also with good works, right? You may see somebody who does good works, takes care of people, is shepherding people right? That is obvious. But then there's also people who it's not as obvious. They're doing good works, but maybe you don't see them or maybe you don't know. So he's saying all that needs to be evaluated. So you've got to see and observe and evaluate. So Proverbs 10.9 says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Um, this idea of character and integrity, right? And if you are living in sin, it is eventually going to come to the surface and it's going to seep out. So we want to be cautious in who we pick, right? And we want to uh, be able to observe over time. The process of bringing on elders is one that is carefully done with prayer and evaluation, um, now, names are suggested by other elders when we get together, um, and there's an extensive interview. Just to tell you just a little bit, so four years ago, so four years ago when I came on as pastor and elder, this, was, this wasn't like, oh, so Brian, like, he's a nice guy. Like, he's a nice guy. Guess what? You're in. You're approved. You're in. That's not what happened at all. So um, when I was considered being a pastor and elder, I met many times with the elders who assessed my integrity and assessed my character. They asked me, and I'll never forget this, because um, they asked me when the, I was sitting down with them, they said, when was the last time you shared the gospel? I was like, that is a great question. And that day, I had actually met with a student and went through and explained the gospel that day. So I was like, whoo, I did it today. And so, um, but I remember that because why? It is very important as an elder and a leader that we need to be able to share the gospel. Like, that is our job. That is our main focus that we want to be doing as a teacher and a preacher. We want to be sharing the gospel. And each and every week as we stand up here, we want to be very clear about that. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus or you don't know what that looks like, and you're like, well, I don't even understand what the gospel is. What is that? Well, all of us are born into sin, each and every one of us. Why? Because of the fall. If we look back into that, we are separated from God. The Bible says we're even enemies of God. Um, but there's only one way that we can have that relationship restored because God in his perfect plan laid it out where he sent his son, which is Jesus as God in the flesh, to pay that penalty for us. So he went to the cross. He died on the cross, took on the punishment, right? He was buried, and then he rose again, and he defeated death. And because of that, you and I can surrender to him and if he is Lord and Savior of your life, that's what you do. You surrender. He, regen he draws you to him. Your heart is regenerated, and you're a new creation. Just like the song that we sang earlier, and just like Matt referenced, Oh, but God, 
Why is that so important? Because that is in Ephesians 2. That's talking about we are dead in our iniquity and in our sin. It paints this picture of who we are, but guess what? Oh, but God, guess what he did? He had the perfect plan, and he, and he draws us to him, and he gave us a way. And if you're here today and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, I would encourage you, talk to me after service, because that is why we are here, to share Jesus' story, to share the gospel, to share the gospel. So in that, so when they interviewed me, that was the important question they asked. They said, when have you shared the gospel? And I said, I did today. And uh, so after that, they not, it was not only these hard conversations they went through and they evaluated me, they looked at my family and they talked to people around me. They went to my wife because they wanted to make sure that the man that I am is the man that I am at home. And they talk to my wife, and they look at my family and my children. There's all this evaluation that goes into it to make sure that uh, I could be considered to be an elder. You know, a couple weeks ago, we went to uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Raleigh and I and a couple other guys went, and we had the opportunity. One of the first things that we got to do there uh, when we got there And this is kind of a peek behind the curtain is why they do this. They bring in pastors. There's like 180 of us. And we got to see like how they do elder meetings. And we got to see how they run things like and what that looks like. How they do, you know, uh, church discipline. All these different things that like that we want to learn how to get better at. But I remember we came in and we were sitting there, 180 of us. And we're looking down around these tables. And there's 24 elders sitting around a table. And all these men were sitting there talking about different hard situations that they were dealing with, hard conversations that they had to have, that they were investing and shepherding in people. And these are the kind of qualities that we want to see in elders, that they will have those hard conversations and be able to love the people and love the congregation well. So being there was very encouraging and to see how they, how they did that. And as we came back, we now want to look and, and continue to learn from their leadership. Now, not everything they did we would do here, obviously, because each church, each congregation is different. But it gives us some good conversation to start saying, okay, so you know, how are we doing as elders? How can we grow as elders? And what does that look like? So we are prayerful for godly men to rise up and lead. So elders must be evaluated. All right, so as we have looked at this text, we have looked at the oversight of elders given from Paul, and what have we seen? We have seen um, that elders must be honored. Elders must be protected. Elders must be rebuked. Elders must be chosen wisely. And elders must be evaluated. So what is our next step today that I want you guys to take away from this? Our next step is this, support the elders of the church. Support the elders of the church. Now, I don't mean that in like a self-serving, selfish way. Like, just come on, you guys need to support us. No, what I'm saying is, what are the steps involved in that? As we look here at all the stuff, um, first submit and honor their leadership because it's not an easy job. It's a heavy responsibility. Um, But I appreciate your encouragement and the encouragement that you give to the elders. Um, Like I said before, we are not perfect. But we are here as elders to serve you. That is why we're here, to serve you. The elders are for you. You know, in counseling, we, I say that all the time to people that I'm talking to or couples or something like, you need to be for each other, right? And that's the way I feel about being an elder. Like, we are for the congregation, and we want the congregation to be for us. That is what healthy leadership looks like. 
And then you need to keep us accountable as leadership. So I'd also ask that you be patient as we grow the team of elders. We must not be hasty in the decisions and the, as we put leadership into place. So, so understanding the responsibility, honoring and keeping our elders accountable are all the ways to support uh, our leadership here in the church. This is how we function together as the body of Christ in a healthy way. So elder oversight is very, very important. Remember, healthy leadership equals what? A healthy church. And that is what we strive for. And that is what we're hoping for. Um, Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we are just so thankful as we dive into your word, as we see what Paul's instructions to Timothy and what we can learn from that, Father. We see that elder oversight is such an important thing. So, Father, we just want to honor you in what we do and how we serve. So, Father, I just pray that you continue to help us as we seek to put leadership into place. And, Father, help us to lead and love well. And, uh, Father, we just want to be a congregation that loves each other um, in a way that brings light to you. So, Father, we just want to glorify you in all that we do. We're so thankful for this time that we've had together today and your word that we've been able to study, and we just pray that you continue to draw us closer to you, Father. If there is someone here who does not know you, Father, I just pray that you draw them close to you, and perhaps today will be the day that they will surrender their lives to you. So, Father, we're so thankful for all that you do and every way you take care of us. So we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.